join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are in life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. We are starting a sermon series this morning and we're looking at principles of community organizing. And community organizing is a newer term, but it's not really a new idea. It's just when people organize at what we call kind of the grassroots level to make changes. And as Reverend Sarah mentioned last week, um, when we were thinking about Labor Day, the organization of workers to get better labor laws is one of those examples of what we would call community organizing. And so there were people who organized to lobby Congress, and there were people who organized for worker strikes, and there were people who organized to handle all the behind-the-scenes logistics that you all know happens to support all of those things. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to turn to some of those uh, guiding principles of community organizing, and we're going to see how they turn up in biblical stories. And the reason that we are doing this, uh, spending this time in this way, is because we know that when we gather together, we gather as people who are all interested in making the world a better place. And we come here each Sunday and we talk about the work that Jesus is doing and the ongoing work of the Spirit, but sometimes it's hard to kind of envision how we take that and then make it bigger or broader or beyond the church walls. And so we're just going to spend a little bit of time on that uh, as a way of kind of opening up some possibility um, and just looking at one model for how that might work. The foundation of community organizing is relationship. And so we are starting this morning with a story from Mark 7, verses 24 through 30. And this is a hard story. Um, it's a short one, but you'll discover as we get into it that there is um, some complicated things to look at. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know he was yet there. But he couldn't escape notice. And so a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and she bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Seraphonician origin. She begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. 
And so she went home, and she found the child laying on the bed, and the demon was gone. It's tough to hear Jesus call somebody a dog. We don't like Jesus treating people badly because he's supposed to be our role model. And so sometimes we've tried to justify this story so that he doesn't come off quite as harshly as he did there. Sometimes we look at it and think, well, maybe Jesus didn't really mean this. Maybe he said it to test the woman's faith. Or maybe he didn't really believe the woman was beneath him. He said it to make a point to everybody who was listening. And the reason that we look at it this way, and maybe even try to justify that a little bit, is that we want Jesus to be infallible. But what I'm wondering about this morning is if we're willing to loosen our grip on that infallible view of Jesus a little bit and let him be human as well as a unique child of God, if we'll find a different kind of role model. I wonder if we'll find a role model who isn't right all the time but who is willing to learn to be better. And I wonder that because I think that it might be even more powerful. We're often quick to put people on pedestals, and then we're pretty quick to knock them right back off again. And so maybe having a role model for relationships in messiness is better than a role model for perfection. That's certainly the work of community organizing, because the central focus is community. It's not individual organizing for activism. It's not even networking. It's coming together to figure out what's good for everyone. And that work, when we do it, takes vulnerable relationships. For all of the very many ways that I cringe right along with you, when we read this story this morning, I also think that it offers that unique glimpse into the possibilities of what it's like when we have leaders who are willing to learn. In that moment, Jesus doesn't have to be the one teaching or walking on water or being out front. He's there with them, learning alongside and from them. And that's what distinguishes community organizing from other groups and types of change-making. People are learning and growing together. They're starting often from not a lot of base knowledge about how to do what they're trying to do. And then they're starting to build these relationships, which means that there will be mistakes and hurt feelings along the way. And rather than focusing on doing everything right all the time, one of the things that we can start with is learning how to repair and regroup if we do hurt someone, or maybe even when we do hurt someone. In her book, Morrow, 
Author Elizabeth Lesser tells a story of a journey that she and her sister embarked on when her sister needed a bone marrow transplant. And at that time, as they sought to deepen their relationship, they learned the power of asking a particular question. How have I hurt you? How have I hurt you? I wonder how many relationships could be saved or deepened by an honest asking of that question. I think it's sometimes easier to think of all of the ways that we have been hurt rather than to have a curiosity about what we have done to hurt someone else. And then when we're confronted with a hard truth about something that we have done, we often respond defensively rather than with that open heart. It reminds me a bit of the work of allyship, where we learn to walk alongside people who are different from us in some way, whether it is race or sexual orientation or ability. And we're we're coming into that work, into spaces um, where we are encountering those differences, sometimes for the first time. One of the first things that we often have to learn is that we will make mistakes. And so along with that, we have to learn how to accept correction. One of the best ways that I was taught to think about this, and this came from an anti-racism conversation, is to receive it the same way you would if someone told you that there's spinach in your teeth. Rather than letting your embarrassment lead to defensiveness or like a lashing out, you can simply say, oh, thank you for telling me. I did not know, and I didn't want to walk around with spinach in my teeth all day. That's a little bit of what happens in our story, even if Jesus doesn't respond in exactly those words, or Mark doesn't record them that way. He does respond with an openness to hearing the challenge and the correction. And his entire sense of who he is and what he's meant to do in the world expands in that moment because he was willing to hear a correction. That's why we're starting with listening and why community organizing is based first in listening. In that work, the first step isn't for someone to have a big idea and say, come join my movement. It's for someone to have a sense that something could change and to ask others, what matters to you? And so to look at that a little bit more concretely, I want to look at an example that comes from some work that was done in Hungary. This started in 2016 when a woman named Andrea Hamaki decided to build a community organization in Gyal, which is near Budapest. And she was interested at this time in organizing folks because she was concerned about government corruption. 
She had been a leader in changing Hungary's government system to a democracy, uh, which happened in 89. But here in 2016, she knew there was still work to be done. And so she started a listening process. And this part of the process is very similar to what some of you might have experienced right here at UCC Longmont when during transitions or goal setting, we have started with some of these same kind of one-on-one -on -one interviews or community conversations. And we gather with folks and we say, what is important to you? And in this particular uh, town, it turned out that what people were really angry about was a lack of street lighting. And so eventually, after a lot of time listening and getting to know people and the careful relationship forming that Andrea did, a new community organization emerged. And it started to look into the facts. And again, they're starting with lower knowledge of how to make change happen. This isn't something they all knew or did professionally. And so they started asking different questions. Like, how do you get the city to replace broken streetlights? Who's on our city council? Who do you talk to? What's the budget like? And then in the process of this research, they discovered something interesting. They discovered that the contractor who had been hired to install and upkeep the streetlights was part of a huge corruption scandal that was already under investigation by the Hungarian police. And so the group decided at that time to work on both dimensions of the issue. Their first goal the primary goal was to make the city council replace the missing and broken streetlights. But while they were doing that, they realized that they could help take what they were learning to highlight and bring out into the open the way this corruption was happening. And so after three years, in 2019, the city council unanimously voted to replace the 654 missing lights, and they disclosed the documents on the expenses of the project and where the money had gone. Now, getting the streetlights fixed was probably not even on Andrea Homaki's radar when she started asking people what mattered to them. And I don't know. I'm just guessing because of her background, but maybe she even hoped that they would start with something bigger. But because she did listen, and because she tackled something that was meaningful to the people who were there, they were able to hang in over the three long years of the ups and downs and to make progress. And in the end, they got the changes that the residents wanted and played a small role in making a bigger change towards government accountability. Thinking back to our scripture story, kind of alongside this other story, we see that Jesus 
was also perhaps working with a bit of a limited viewpoint. He thought he was there for a specific group of people, and that group did not include Gentiles, to do a specific thing. But when he focused on the work of listening and of relationship building, even his own sense of who he was and what he could do expanded. When we take our dreams of making a better world out into the streets, we know that we will have to grow beyond our comfort zone. Even Jesus did. But more often than not, I think, and these stories tell us, that we will probably also find alongside Jesus that our sense of what is possible expands. And so as we ponder that very first step, that foundational work of community organizing this week, I invite us all to just thinking about the work of listening. Who are the people that we might ask some questions to? Whether it is, how have I hurt you? Or what matters to you? And in that spirit, I trust that we will find new light.